Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning, and welcome to the Hipsid podcast uh, with me, Rabbi Semucha, and our producer, Samuel Milstein. Say hello, Sam. Hello. What's it like having the honor, the distinct honor, of producing the Hipsid podcast? It's fun. It's nice. You sound, uh, you sound thrilled. Uh, Sherry, our in-house producer and co-creator, is stuck COVID in Edmonton. Where's Edmonton? Canada. Canada. You've got big shoes to fill, but you are filling them amicably. Sam, this is going to be perhaps the heaviest and most somber episode of the Hipsid podcast. There are seminal moments in life that can never be forgotten. Moments that become indelibly impressed in the minds and hearts of everyone. Anyone alive at the time remembers exactly where they were and how they felt on September 11th, 2001. Today's guest, say hello to Joey Calabro. Hello, hello. Okay, Joey, I've got your bio over here. Oh. I wrote it myself. Oh, good. Okay, Joey, I don't know what you do because you do everything okay joey you're a locksmith you're a plumber an electrician a contractor and a mensch anything else caterer caterer chef chef okay <laughs> but most of all joey you're a mensch you are a dear friend and rosh Hashanah, you are by me for lunch how was the food excellent wife and wife did a marvelous job right my wife sterling it was very, very good. We all enjoyed. Baruch Hashem. Joey, you shared your 9-11 story. And I felt this was a story that had to be remembered, memorialized, and recorded in perpetuity forever. So we're going to go through the experiences. We're going to recount the Calabro experience of September 11th, 2001. Would you like to begin with where you were and what you were doing. Well, that's a great place to start. That day, I was supposed to be getting my daughter ready for her play group. She was three years old at the time. And, well, that included me making breakfast for her. My wife was upstairs getting ready to go to work. And Normal day in the Calabro household. Pretty much a normal day. And... Normally, being a Hatzala member, I would keep my radio on, uh, on a regular volume. But I knew that I wasn't going to be able to take any calls that day unless it was a true, true emergency. So I lowered the volume on my radio. and Not expecting very not much. Not expecting very much. At, right. right, correct. And all of a and sudden... And Mill Basin Hatzala was in its infancy at the time? Mill Basin Hatzala started being called Mill Basin Hatzala, originally was Canarsie. But far from being in, a, in infancy, we were quite established, and at least 30 to 40 members. And that day, I, uh, I kept my uh, volume on low, and in, back in those days, uh, it, for all the H old Hatzala members, they uh, know that basically the radios were tuned to every neighborhood in the uh, whole greater New York area. So Borough Park, Williamsburg, Canarsie, <laughs> Manhattan, we were all on the same wavelength. There was no separation. And 
I was making breakfast, and all of a sudden, I heard all this chatter going on on the radio. And I said, what the heck is going on? I Right away, I turned up the volume, and I heard the dispatcher, all units proceeding to the World Trade Center's, must check in with H-Base because we need to keep a running count of who's there. We want to make sure that the, the neighborhoods are still manned and not kept in the dark. So, so what I, happened next? So I right away, I turned around and I turned my TV on. And lo and behold, I saw the first building that was on fire. The newscaster said, well, there was a two-engine plane that hit the World Trade Center And that was all that they had as far as the news goes with that. And as he's speaking, I'm watching the this, I don't remember what kind of jet it was, but I'm watching the second jet coming by, and I'm thinking to myself, what is this guy doing coming so close to the building? And the next thing I know, I'm watching it on TV, and it just slammed right into the second tower in real time. The uh, antenna for most of the uh, networks was on top of the second building, and that's when all the feed kind of just went out. I turned around, I grabbed the phone, and I called up uh, my coordinator. Without even saying hello, this, that, or anything, he says, meet me at the bus, uh, our ambulance. And I right away ran upstairs, and I told my wife, do not leave the house today. Do not bring Leia, my daughter, to, to play group. Ever, just stay in the house. I told her there was a terrorist attack. World Trade Centers were attacked. I ran downstairs, jumped in my car, and zoomed over to the ambulance. Pretty much all got there at the same time, and there were three of us uh, from Canarsie. Myself, Monty Weschler who was uh, our coordinator at the time, and another member, Michael Weisblatt. And we jumped in the ambulance, and again, it was an amazing thing to see because as soon as people heard and saw the lights and siren, they just pulled over and parted. Never <laughs> happens never, in Brooklyn. Which never happens so in Chris Brooklyn. Yamsov, Basically, the waves, yes, uh, that day, that day was Departed, exactly and you had a free ride to, uh, to Manhattan. Correct. How long did it take you to get from Mill Basin, from the Mil Rockaways, Basin, from to, Mil uh, Basin, to Lower uh, all the way to uh, the World Trade Center? It took us approximately 20 minutes. Just to paint the picture, Joey, how many miles were on the clock of the ambulance? Oh, uh, our uh, ambulance was pretty much brand spanking new. We had about 400 miles on the ambulance at the time. Legend has it that Mill Basin and Canarsie were fundraising for years for this ambulance. So we proceeded. On the way, we picked up one of our other members on Ocean Parkway by Foster Avenue. Ellie Zinn. So we got Mike, Monty, and Ellie. Monty and Ellie, right, and myself. We proceeded to zoom down all the way down. The police had Ocean Parkway completely closed off, only for emergency vehicles. That was the only reason that we were able to get there with such a short uh, span of time. If anybody ever takes a look as you're going up over the rise on the Prospect Expressway, you can actually see right into Manhattan, the whole skyline. And we took a look out the window as we're driving, and you just got an empty, sick feeling in your stomach to see it. 
And we finally got down through the tunnel and we got to the buildings and the scene was all being supervised by uh, EMS fire department. I never saw such a spectacular show of brotherhood between the EMTs and the and it was just amazing. Everyone wanted to help. So we were instructed by fire department officials uh, to proceed all the way up to where all the ambulances were, uh, were parked. And what they do is they put them all in the straight line, and they told us to take all our equipment to, with us, everything that we needed, and they took the keys from our ambulance. And we said, like, what are we supposed to do? Well, you know, when you come back, I'm going to give you the keys to the front ambulance. You're going to put your stuff in the front ambulance and just go, and we'll straighten everybody out after. And that's how they keep the scene moving in a normal fashion. So we took all our stuff and walked two blocks south back to the World Trade Center. We actually, it was the closest building to the west side uh, highway. And there was a procession of EMT crews going across the whole West Side Highway. And as soon as a patient came out of the building, the next crew came up, triaged very quickly, got him on the stretcher, took him up to the ambulance, and proceeded to, you know, bring him to a hospital. We were standing there, you know, moving, moving, moving up, moving up. And... All of a sudden, I, it just dawned on me that all this debris, fire, uh, you know, that was on fire, uh, stuff uh, falling and this and that, I, I said, maybe we should, like, move under the walkway because there was a suspension bridge that was a walkway connecting the Hilton Hotel to the, to the other side of the West Side Highway. And I said, at least nothing will hit us in the head. How much debris was coming down at that point? There were chairs. There was uh, burning papers. There was... Also, when you got closer to the building, there were actually people that actually came down that jumped, I guess, because of the, the flames. And we proceeded, and we kept going and going and going. We were about the second crew. There was only one other crew in front of us waiting for someone to come out of the building. We were instructed by the fire department not to enter the building, but as soon as a patient did come out, the next crew took care of them and so on and so forth. It was uh, like an assembly right. line. There was one other crew in front of us. We were approximately 30 feet away from the building. All of a sudden, the earth started shaking and it was literally an earthquake. Literally, you felt like you were in an earthquake. You, you felt the vibration inside your stomach. It was a, an incredible. We were just dumbfounded. We, we were like a deer caught in the headlights. We didn't know what to do. The building was about to fall. You the felt like, like no, a the rumbling? Building, the building was falling. The oh. building started to crumble. Wow. And that's what caused the... We were 30 the, feet away. We were 30 feet away. And again, uh, we were like, what are we... You know, not even... The ground, like... like the ground shook? was literally like an earthquake. And we... Didn't know, we didn't know what to do until someone screamed out, run. And we all of a sudden like came, became aware of what was going on. We just proceeded to run across the West Side Highway. As we're running across, we were, I went underneath the walkway because I, I figured that, you know, I didn't want to get hit in the head with something. And as I'm running under the walkway, I saw my friends were ahead of me. 
And there was no way to get into the building from ground level. It was all glass along the whole, and they were at least 20 feet high uh, sheets of glass. Probably not a good place to be standing. Not a good place to be standing. I thought that right away. And You felt like survival instincts? I, I'm not sure what I felt or how I felt or right. why I uh, thought what I did. Right. Pretty much everything just right. kind of came natural. Right. As I'm running, I saw two cars parked under this walkway. And I said, all right, steel is better than glass. So let me see, you know, I tried the doors on the cars. They were both locked. And I said, well, I, let me just get down on the ground and then sneak under one of the cars. At least I'll be protected, you know, I'll be under the car. So I took three cleansing breaths. Again, the survival instincts, I don't know. But I just knew that I needed to hold my breath. I don't know why. I took three cleansing breaths, and I squeezed myself under the car, put my hands over my head, and I just held my breath. And I didn't need to hold it very much longer, 10 to 15 seconds, and the shockwave of the building com coming down just completely blew me out from under the car. And I was in between these two cars now. There was no way to see anything because most people don't realize, but there was a black, a completely black cloud, an all-encompassing black cloud that when I felt it, I immediately thought of around Pesach when we do the plagues, and there was the plague of darkness. It says that Choshech, it, it was so encompassing that you were able to feel the darkness. And that's exactly the way this black cloud felt. Zero visibility, not able to breathe. Not that I tried to breathe, but there was no breathing right. at all. You were just sucking in debris. So I'm still on the ground, and now I'm holding my breath, and now the breathe starts coming down, and, and I'm feeling myself getting buried. And I said, this is not a good situation. I just jumped up. And again, I, how high was the debris? It was not that high, but I, you were I knew down. that I knew right. I was flat on the, I was flat on the floor, and I said it can only get worse. Right. <laughs> it's not going to get better. So right. I jumped up, and I knew I was in between the two cars. I felt for the car door again, and it was locked. I turned around to the other car; it was locked, and not even thinking twice, I just made a fist and punched out the glass, which I would not suggest anyone trying because you'll most probably break your fist, a couple of knuckles. But again, Hashem was with me, and I was. he gave me the strength to just punch out that window with a bare hand. <laughs> wow. I Again, so you're talking about survival instinct? I don't know, but I do know that not even thinking twice, I jumped headfirst into the car, also, again, not even thinking twice uh, that I needed to keep the air clean inside the car. I stuck my backside up into the window to prevent the air from being contaminated. Family show, Joey. Tuchus, yes. tuchus. Okay. So you knew us. there was air in the car. <laughs> there was air in the wow. car. As soon as I was in position there to block the, the schmutz from coming into right. the car, the alarm went off on the car. I wouldn't worry. 
I did not worry right. about the alarm, but it was a bracha because it alerted, as, it alerted someone else to the car. And you're separated came. from the rest of the chevron. I my my guys, I had no idea where right. they were. Right away, this guy started banging on the window, and I right away opened up the locks on the car. He jumped in. Pretty much from then on, I do not remember anything that happened, but I did find out who this gentleman was that jumped in the car afterwards, about three days later. The gentleman that jumped in the car, his name is J.J. Katz, currently a coordinator of Vatsala in, in Crown Heights. I didn't know it at the time, right. but he was hyperventilating. He was understood because he was just so happy to get some oxygen being inside the car. He said that I was cool as a cucumber, and uh, I you talked calmed to, him down. You, I calmed him down. I said, "Don't say? worry, we're going to get it." I, again, I don't remember. I'm, t- right. you know, telling you right. what he told me uh, the, that uh, was going on. I talked him down, and you know, I said, "Don't worry, we're going to get out of here, and uh, th- we're going to be okay." Uh, to calm down, uh, you know, and I, again, uh, I, I don't remember. The only thing that I do remember that there were two gentlemen in the back seat of the car. Afterwards, uh, when, when we met, he said we were the only two in the car. But we'll get back to them. All of a sudden, again, I don't remember, he says that I said, we need to get out of here right now. And again, I don't remember saying that. I kind of remember someone else saying it. <laughs> it wasn't right. him. It was the two, one, the of back the, of the car. one of the two gentlemen in the back of the car. So I jumped out. And at that time, the black cloud subsided, and now there was this white fog a cloud, which everyone actually knows of because you couldn't film the black cloud because uh, there, there was, right. it was just too encompassing. Uh, I made my way to the glass where I knew my friends went, and of course, it was all shattered. And I went into the building at that like point. Like a mall, right? Okay. Yeah, it's like a little mall uh, right. scenario right. going on in there. Okay. And I'm, I'm feeling my way around because the white cloud is inside. And You're covered uh, from head to toe. He- oh, forget ash. about it. You can't imagine uh, the <laughs> what we looked like. Right. I was going through this uh, little mall area there, and I came up upon the coffee shop. And I went in the coffee shop, and there was some milk the containers there that they were using, you know, obviously to milk for the coffee. And I grabbed one of the containers cleaned my eyes, cleaned my throat, uh, swished it around, gargled, and just spit it all over the floor. I turn around, and there's at least 30 to 40 people sitting around having coffee. Unaware of what's going on? They're just completely oblivious uh, wow. to, to the situation. And you walk in? And I walk in, and wow. I will not repeat what I said on the air. But I, for the basically, basically, I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Yeah, <laughs> the building... The building just fell. We have no idea which way it fell. It's surreal. It really was. And this guy, the coffee shop, that's the, they're selling the coffee to the people, you know, and they're sitting there drinking their coffee. I was like, we need to get out of here. We need to get to the water for some reason or another. You speak about survival instinct. I just knew that that was get the safest the place at that point. I said, we don't know how this building fell. Right. It could be on top of, uh, of us right now, waiting to collapse right. this whole building. So this one woman, she, she says, I can't see. I, I said, come, just hold my arm and we'll go together. And so I took her and then people realized that yeah, it's a good idea. Let's get out of right. here. So 
Then this other gentleman that I was with, I have no idea who he was. He also took some other people and said, come on, let's go, let's go, you know, and we, uh, we got out of there. By the time we uh, found the water, there's a whole labyrinth of Battery Park of these streets going here, right. there, it's turning this way, that way. It wasn't easy finding the water, especially when you're walking around the in a fog. The second tower had fallen at this no, point? No, not yet. We made it to the water's edge, and by the time we got there, this gentleman and I, we had maybe 50, 60 people with us that we collected as wow. we were going through Battery Park City there. All of a sudden, uh, the, still, this white cloud couldn't see anything. All of a sudden, I hear somebody screaming from out in the water. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to jump in the water now <laughs> because somebody's, uh, you know, in the water. And I was couldn't like... Couldn't see the water. No, you could not, and they couldn't see the land. So anyway, I yelled at, uh, back to him, where are you? And he's like, no, we're in a boat. I'm trying to get a sounding uh, to shore. So I started yelling back and forth, and he was able to figure out exactly where we were, and he, you know, coasted up to the dock. And we're here to evacuate anyone. And I said, great, you know, we had all these people, and this gentleman, one of the leaders uh, with me, we started you were carrying taking- people over. We were Railings? taking people the and putting them over the. Boat. We were putting them over the railing. They were taking them onto the boat. This guy filled up his boat with about ten people. It was not a big boat. He left and he went straight out. And then another boat came and another one and then a larger boat. It was just one after the other. Basically, had all these people. You know, we we're schlepping them over. Hundreds the, of people. Uh, oh yes, at that time because the building started emptying out. Right. The apartment, uh, you know, the condos, right. whatever they are back there. The guy I'm with, he's like, "Let's knock the rail down." And I had lost my glasses, so I really, you know, <laughs> with the fog and the, you know, not being able to, to see because of the glasses. I was like, "What are you talking about?" I, mean, I figured it was an iron railing, but it was wood. He started kicking it. It's moving. I said, oh, wow. You know, so I started kicking it, and uh, we were able to knock down a whole section. Boats were coming up. We were putting them uh, onto the boat much easier. You made a plank. Well, we didn't need to because they came right up to the water's edge. We just kept putting people on, and this one gentleman comes over to me. He says, I I have an appointment on 48th Street uh, today (laughs) at 12 o'clock. I said, yeah, just tell the captain the way you want to get off. He'll bring you there. Some people, when they're in shock, right. they're like totally, right. you know, oblivious right. to, you know, what's right. going on. And uh, this gentleman must have been in shock, unless he was just a complete moron, which is a possibility also. It is Manhattan. <laughs> so when, yeah. when did the second? Um, in the middle of all of this, the second building fell. Again, the, the, we were felt privy. The, the ground. We were, yeah, the, yeah, you felt it again. We were privy to the, the white cloud again. The second building that came down was much further away, so the white cloud was not as intense as one, uh, you know, that was closest to us. Right. A little bit after that, I believe they sounded an alarm that everybody had to evacuate the area because there was a gas leak. They weren't able to shut it off, so I was forced to, to get on a boat and go across the Hudson. They had a whole mash unit, if anybody remembers the, the show, they basically set up a complete tent with surgical... For the listeners, the show was set in Vietnam, the Vietnam War. In Vietnam, war. yes. The, I the, just the, remember the show lasted longer than the war. Yeah, uh, that true. Was, that was uh, MASH. And, so uh, they set up... So you took a boat on the Hudson to where? Liberty Park. 
That's okay. where they had set up the. And unit there was like there. some military triage. Uh, How did that even it get was, there? It was till this day. I have no idea, but it was not military. It was surgeons, doctors, nurses, all from local New Jersey hospitals. Nebuch, there wasn't many people to there, save. There really wasn't. They were expecting mass casualties, and there, there really was not, unfortunately. Unable to call your wife? The cell phones were gone. Yeah, right. the cell phones were completely out. My wife had no idea. Right. I think the earliest that she found out that we were okay was about... I think about 11 o'clock at night, which, you know, was about uh, 15 hours later. (laughs) It was a a hectic day for her also, uh, worrying about us. How did you get back? So they said that it was okay to go back. They said it was all clear. So I jumped on a boat uh, going back, explaining to them they didn't want to let me, but I said, listen, I'm an EMT and I have to get back, still have operations going on. So they, they let me get on the boat and I went back. And oh, so you, you were not looking to go home. You just wanted to go back. I, I wanted to know to what help. happened to my friends. Right. Uh, that was, at that right. point, that, that was a big concern of mine. Right. So I got back to the Battery Park City there. And at that point, they, they didn't need me to evacuate anybody because they pretty much had everybody off at that point. So I started walking around and I saw a... Uh, and what did that look sh- like, the scene? Uh, very hard to describe. Even though there were this film of the area, and you, you can, you know, people saw it on TV, and it's just not the same as being there in person. The destruction—it it was overwhelming to to see everything uh, just covered in feet in some places of debris and and ash all over the place. Even me, <laughs> I was covered in ash from head to toe. Well, I was walking around, and all of a sudden, I see this Flatbush Hatsala ambulance driving, and I start screaming and flapping my arms, and and the guy pulls over, and lo and behold, it's one of my guys, Michael Weisblatt, driving the ambulance, oh. along with Lonnie oh. Weschler was Very with good. him in the ambulance, and we, we were just so happy to wow. see each other. But we were still missing one member, Eli Zinn. All of us had no idea what happened to him. We found out later that he had lacerations on his leg. He was able to make it across the Brooklyn Bridge, and he was taken to Maimonides Hospital at that point. But again, there were no cells, cell phones, right. and we had no idea until much later that evening that, that he was okay. We uh, proceeded to walk around. We went through that mall that uh, that I had entered in, found the coffee shop. We f- went through the whole mall. We found a pizza shop on the end of the mall. I had the foresight. Again, I don't know why. Survival or what, this or whatever. I just had the foresight to say, let's clean out all the drinks because there's going to be you know, like people that are right. going to need to right, water. water, juices, right. this, that. I grabbed uh, as many bags as I could, and we, you know, we all uh, had uh, these bags of drinks, and passing them out to the firemen as we, you know, as we were going out around uh, by the West Side Highway. Our ambulance was parked two blocks north of where we were, where the building came down. It was totally demolished. The windows were blown out. The concussion was so severe that the the plastic over the speedometer was cracked. 
just to give you an idea, it was pretty bad. The ambulance caught on fire. One of our other members who was down there... Uh, uh, Doobie Circus, if you're listening, he's getting nervous right now. He's having palpitations. Don't worry. <laughs> You've got a new truck since then. Uh, one of our other members, Oren Kagan, was down there, and he saw the ambulance on fire. He found the fire extinguisher, I don't know where, and he was able to put out the fire, kind of save the ambulance. We found the ambulance, and I, I still don't understand why, uh, why it was still running, but <laughs> we got in and we, we took the ambulance to a staging area that the fire department set up. How do you get the keys? I'm not sure if it was a captain or a lieutenant, but found them and got the, the keys from them. And we took the ambulance to the staging area, even though we had no equipment, had absolutely nothing on the ambulance. It was just basically a truck now. <laughs> we lost the defibrillator. We lost the stretcher. We lost all our jump bags. We still had uh, oxygen tanks uh, on board. That was about it. And we went to this staging area where it was a square with a fountain area in there and the running water, uh, which is where I kind of jumped in and then started <laughs> washing myself off. And at that point, they had F-14s flying over. And if you, <laughs> the reason why they don't let F-14s fly over a metropolitan area is because of the noise. And it was deafening. And it triggered uh, this response in me later on that we had the supersonic jet taking off over here. And every day that that thing came in and left... <laughs> yeah, I went into a severe uh, shock. You know, shock, sweaty palms, shaking, right. this and that. And just because those planes going by, it just had such a profound, uh, you know. Essentially uh, uh, a war zone. That yeah, yeah basically hand. it was. We were at this first staging area. Then they decided that it was too dangerous and they moved us back uptown more. Still below Canal Street. Set up another staging area. By this time... We were still expecting, you know, maybe somebody somewhere, you know, patient, something, some survivor. But unfortunately, there wasn't any. We stuck around for the remainder of the day. I believe we left about 2 o'clock in the morning. And at that point, we said we're going back to Brooklyn. And we took about 12 firefighters with us in the back of the ambulance. And I was in the back with them. It was a very somber very, very, I don't even know. It was just horrible. All these guys lost their friends and all they're saying to each other, oh, you remember, yeah, I think Joe was in there. Oh, I think uh, Jack was in there. I think Mike uh, was in there. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I know this guy was there. He went in uh, and this one, and they're all, you know, uh, it's a very reminiscing. Close community. Yeah, well, firemen are, Brothers you know, and cousins. And yeah, it's, it's a brotherhood. Uh, you know, and these guys are, you know, and they knew that they lost all their friends, uh, their buddies. So it was, uh, it was really... I can't imagine. It was, a re yeah, it was really, it was very difficult driving them back because I was standing there with back there. And I remember I had to go to back uh, with my friend the next day for recovery. I thought I would go and, and help uh, with the recovery, even though Hatsala, the... Uh, actually forbade uh, all of us from going back. My friend and I, we went back. 
as I was there, I said, oh, you know something? I had a brand new radio. I said, I know exactly where I dropped it. It was in between these two cars that I was hiding, finding refuge in. But I'm looking around and I'm saying, I don't recognize anything here. I'm looking around and I, I it, it, the scene was just so foreign. It, it, it looked like, like Mars, basically. And I'm looking around and, the, and then I realized that the walkway that, that I thought was protecting us actually completely collapsed because it was a suspension bridge, which was only held up from the Hilton Hotel, which was destroyed, and the, uh, the building uh, across the West Side Highway. So if you had not slapped those people out of the coffee shop, uh, not forbid. Well, no. I think it was more just me and, uh, and J.J. Uh, Katz that were in imminent danger uh, because of that thing falling. The bridge completely crushed the, the cars that we were in. They, they were like, they, they, it was unrecognizable that they were even cars. Oh, the car that you had your tuchus hanging yeah, out of. Yeah, basically, right. The yeah. bridge had fallen on the car. Uh, yeah, completely crushed it, yeah. Did you find the uh, walkie-talkie? No, it was in between the car, <laughs> crushed car. All right. <laughs> that, that was a brand new radio. It was gone. It was like... A realization as to the destruction, I, I kind of like broke down at that point. And uh, I, I, I tried my best, to, but I couldn't stay. I, I actually had to, I had, to, I had to leave at that point. Overwhelming. It was really overwhelming to me. And, and, and just to get back to uh, the two gentlemen that were in the back seat who... Till this day, uh, Machlokas. JJ says nobody. JJ says absolutely nobody, right? and, uh, and I, Joey I said says two guys. There were two guys, and this is the uh, reason why I'm a firm believer in Malachim. One of those uh, were, was his Malach, and the other one was mine. And angels, I believe. I believe that every Hutzala member. We had about three, almost three hundred members down there at, at this incident. There were only two people that were injured, two Hutzala members. The worst was a fractured collarbone. The other one, a slight laceration. Incredible! Out of all of us that we were able. And these to two angels said, "You got to get out." They're of the here. ones that, uh, yeah, because I do not recall ever saying, "Oh, we need to leave now." Been in the car. And I believe that they said it, and that's where I heard it. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I, I wow. booked out of there, and then J.J. also jumped out of the car. So postscript, how did you uh, meet up again with uh, J.J.? I went to Bench Gomel in 770. I'm very emotional, and at that point I was saying the bracha, and I, I completely broke down right there. And after I was able to get through the bracha and calm myself, so a gentleman comes over to me and says, tell me your story. So I started, <laughs> so I started telling him the story, and he's like, you're the guy. He's like, JJ's looking for you. JJ wow. was in the car with us, the guy who was in the car with you. I was like, oh, wow. I, yeah, I, you know, and he right away got on the phone and called him, and... He came running down to 770, and it was a very emotional time, and uh, we hugged each other, and as much as, uh, you know, the brotherhood that the firemen have. Also, he was a Tzola member, so it was a little bit more, but just being able to, you know, know that he had an impact on a fellow Jew on his life, obviously had an impact on my life. Till this day, we're still very good friends, 
and we, we keep in contact. Not as much as I would like, but if he listens to the podcast, maybe I'll give him a call after this. Uh, I, I have grown to respect, admire, and adore Hatsala. In my own uh, trials and tribulations, with my family, we have utilized Hatsala, and there was just this past summer, I believe, Duvi Circus is getting a mention on the Hipsid podcast. There was a situation where a child was missing in Canossi Park. I believe Duvi was, was yeah, see, found see, the child see, yes, uh, and local hero. But uh, by the way, Joey, you have tears in your eyes, and I, I, I appreciate I appreciate you doing this. I really do, and it means a lot. And I hope many people will learn from this story, which will now codified on the internet. What was said when they found this child in Kanasi, beautiful, uh, you probably saw the footage, that the, um, the, the NYPD officer said that you're, you're the heroes. I get paid to be here. Right. I'm just doing my job. Exactly. No one's paying you, but, but you come and you do it. What did he say? You remember that? Uh, basically, that Getting was emotional. It. Uh, you now. know, he, he said that, you know, you guys are, are marvelous uh, what you do. Police and firemen, we also feel, but we actually are getting paid. This is our job. It's, uh, this is what we get paid for. Right. But you guys are doing it. You, you know that there's a necessity and you're doing it out of true love. Right. Yeah, there, right. was, a, there was a beautiful acknowledgement from that uh, officer right. uh, at that time. To sum up, it never gets easier. The 20-year anniversary of September the 11th came out uh, on Shabbos Tshuva, the Shabbat which comes in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Shabbos returning, the Shabbos of, um, repentance. There was a beautiful quote that I'd like to end off with, Joey. No one knows who wrote, who wrote this. It's, no one knows who uh, this quote is attributed to, but I think it gives us some, some lessons and some messages on this 20-year anniversary. I'm going to read the quote, and then we're going to ask you to end off, Joey. It says, On this day, 246 people went to sleep in preparation for their morning flights. 2,606 people went to sleep in preparation for work in the morning. 343 firefighters went to sleep in preparation for their morning shift. 60 police officers went to sleep in preparation for morning patrol. Eight paramedics went to sleep in preparation for the morning shift. None of them saw past 10 a.m. on September the 11th, 2001. Not one single moment, life may never be the same. As you live and enjoy the breaths you take today and tonight before you go to sleep in preparation for your life tomorrow. Kiss the ones you love, snuggle a little tighter, and never take one second of life granted. I'd like to ask you to end off. Joe, if you have any sort of closing thoughts or lessons or how this experience changed you as a person and your approach to life. Basically, what you just said did spark that in me. Actually feel the... The wonderful day by day awakening and uh, and being able to, you know, have another day on this planet. I still believe that there was absolutely no reason for me to still be here, other than Shem has another purpose for me. Obviously, I didn't fulfill it yet, but uh, the, I think you I, fulfill uh, it every day. You're someone I know who quietly goes about life doing a lot of mitzvahs. Well, there's I a was, few people, by the way. If you ever sort of need something, I have a little rolodex of people. That I know, no matter what time of day, my friend uh, Red Schwartz, Ellie, 
and you are in that that category that that sort of uh, you are one of the arrows in the quiver because I know I could call you and and you'll always be there so I want to thank you for doing this thank you for sharing this I know it's not easy I know you do have some health issues as a result of, of, of yes. that day but we wish you gesund we wish you many 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 strong years healthy years happy years to 120 and oh, then dang. then we'll renegotiate the <laughs> next good. 120 so lahaim tova we should only we should only know simchas only know joy we should take every second of life never take uh, anything for granted we should haparain every mitzvah every opportunity and i wish everybody a happy healthy sweet new year and with that this is me rabbi simcha saying good night good night